You are listening to the Wool Academy podcast. This is episode number 28. Hello and welcome. My name is Elizabeth Van Delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond, delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell. Today on the show we have Pedro Otegi from Lanas Trinidad in Uruguay. Welcome Pedro, it's so great to have you here. Thank you very much. Hi, how are you Lisa? I'm well, th thank you. And we are actually here today in Harrogate in Yorkshire in the UK for the IWTO Congress and it's so great to have you as a guest live today. And yeah, let's just get started by you telling me a little bit more about yourself and your company Lanas Trinidad. Well, I am coming from a Google family. Yeah? I am the third generation and the fourth generation is already uh, they're starting to, to work in Google as well. Yeah? The company uh, is partnership with Chargers France and the Otegi family in Uruguay. And the roots of the company goes back to 1916, so let's say 100 years. Mm -hmm. uh, Congratulations. Is, thank you very much. <laughs> and nowadays the, the production we, we are running in the combined mill is close to 10,000 tons, depending on the, on the qualities and fineness, less or, or, or a bit more. And total invoice, invoice in around 70 million US dollars per, per year. And tell us a little bit more about um, wool combing. What is exactly involved in the business? Well, as you said, is is our main main line of business is the if the wool tops. Uh, we start buying the greasy wool from the farmers, and thereafter we take the, that wool to to the, our warehouse. We make a sorting and, and classification of the of the wool, and from the warehouse we we feed daily the scouring and, and combing plant which is very is near to one to the other and in 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 the, the process is as said scouring and combing a raw material and equipments of course you have to you need to have the expertise but machines are machines mm -hmm. uh, and the the point for us is you have so many things uh, outside of these two, let's say, main main parameters. Uh, like uh, for scouring the, the water, uh, the scouring the wool, you need a lot of water. Yeah. In our case, we scour the wool with the water is coming 100% from rainfall. So we, we have a, we have a, a very important uh, reservoir next to the, to the mill. And with the rains, we are collecting the, the water, and that, the, that is the water we use for, for scouring. So we are not pumping any liter of water from, from uh, the drinking water yeah, natural reserves. Mm -hmm. of, so, so we are... We are You're self-sufficient. We are self-sufficient yes. in, in terms of, of clean water. And another very important uh, aspect to, that we consider is what you do with the water after the scouring, yeah? the famous effluents. Yeah? And you can pay a look in our, in our uh, website. You, there is a, a video presentation. Uh, first in the mill, we recover the wool grease. 
and thereafter we, we pump that water to a, a field that belongs to, to us, whereas it's a 140 hectares place. Uh, we have 22 different lagoons, and we uh, are in a process of aerobic and anaerobic. Yeah. The, the last water we, we get, uh, we use it for irrigation of trees. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, let's say not less than 10 months a year, we are not discharging a, a single liter of processed water uh, to the to the stream. Yeah. So, and and all the products we use for scouring and combing are uh, natural and biodegradable. So we uh, define ourselves as a sort of uh, green uh, activity in the in the in what we do with the water in and water out and all the other elements we use for, for the process. Yeah, and I had the opportunity to visit you in Uruguay and you showed me um, your mill and also this irrigation um, of water treatment system. And yeah, it was amazing, all these different water lagoons and you saw uh, ducks swimming oh, yeah. uh, there. And <laughs> I, I guess we have our ducks. Yeah, so it, it, it's quite a green, yeah. um, pleasant And lately, plant. I think, uh, after your, your visit to us in, in Uruguay, uh, we make a, a complementary investment in that place, uh, whereas we are capturing the methane gas mm -hmm. in, in one of the lagoons and burning the gas, by burning the gas, generating electricity. And you feed that back into the electricity we, system. We compensate also. with the mm -hmm. electricity company, that which belongs to to the to the state. But roughly 25 to 30 percent of our electricity needs are compensated with the pro our production burning the the gas. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think I also saw in your mill that you were using wood to heat the water for washing. Yes. So that's the wood you're growing through the irrigation. In, in this the... irrigation, yeah, in the field. And we have to buy some more wood. Uh, in our country, uh, we don't have crude oil. Mm -hmm. We don't have natural gas. Uh, so, uh, of course, the uh, electricity matrix is maybe different than other countries. So in, in, in our case, the burning of wood is, is, is another alternative. That's yeah. really interesting. And tell us a little bit more about how you get the wool. You said earlier that you buy the wool directly from the farmers. Explore that a little bit more. Yeah. In, in, in Uruguay, there is no auction system like in, in some other places, some other countries, like, for instance, like, like Australia. So the farmers, uh, well, the size of the country helps. Yeah? And uh, most, of the, most of the buyers are uh, f family owned companies, local ones uh, in, in, that have been working in Uruguay for many, many, of, for several generations. And almost we know to each other. I mean, uh, if, you, if you walk in the street, <laughs> <laughs> you, you will realize. And farmers, uh, if they continue with wool, normally they don't change the breed from one year to the other. The, the main uh, variations may be according to the weather conditions and the management of the genetic. If there is a, an improved uh, ram that is, is in service or not. So let's say that 
not less than 50% of the of the greasy wool supply comes on a yearly basis from the same farms. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you have another percentage that people, uh, on top that they know you or you know them, they are always trying to get the, the, the best possible price in, in the market. And so you buy one year, you lose them for two, three years, they, they come back, you go behind them. <laughs> yeah. But that is, uh, and as we say, is is a system that does not bring any additional expenses either to the to the farmer or to the seller. That at the end of the day, uh, whatever you have in excess will go against the price to to the farmer. And this is a very important topic, uh, Elisa. For us, is that what we have. Uh, been appreciating in, in the market for the last seven, perhaps le last two decades. Yeah? If we go to a 20 years period or so, today the world production of wool came down to one third. Mm -hmm. yeah? And the wool is one and a half percent of the fibers market. So then I have two, two questions. One is, if the if the business was so good for the farmers, why the production came down to one third? If the ha farmer is happy, he he would continue. Change. Don't change. So something happened. Yeah. Perhaps is is the wool price itself, or some other alternatives came to the to the farmers in, in some other countries are not exactly the same but in one ca in some cases was the the milk production or the beef production or the soya beans or the wheat or maize uh, so something happened that a, a big part of the of the production was was lost yeah. and secondly is that the wool is as I said one and a half percent of the of the fibers mm -hmm. yeah so uh, some people could say, oh, you can disappear very easily. That is the pessimist position approach. <laughs> and the optimist could say, we have an 98.5% of market to grow. So <laughs> let's, let's go for the 98.5%. Uh, and what do you, have you done particular steps in Uruguay to work with the farmers to keep them in the business or? yeah well in uruguay uh, it we have the the wool secretariat which is a organization uh, f founded by uh, and by the by farmers and they have been very uh, active in terms of uh, wool presentation shearing and uh, classification sorting in the in the farm and that was a really a very good uh, improvement. Secondly, is the uh, natural environment and the, the, the genetic. Uruguay has a very good base. Yeah. And uh, we have been working close to, to the farmers and specific projects with uh, the Merino, for, for fine Merino. Yeah. And uh, nowadays, or lately, Uruguay ha was also involved in, in writing a sort of uh, animal welfare guidelines for the for the farmers, yeah. and we help, or we cooperate, or we we participated in the in the working with the working group, 
trying to, to put on the table uh, what are the uh, normal daily uh, procedures in Uruguay for, for producing wool or to having the, the responsible uh, ethical production of animals in, in the farm, but also at the same time considering what other countries are saying they do. So, and this, this document was just released really is, is, uh, is exactly 100% of what's going on in our country and it's a very good uh, point for, for many uh, customers that are more sensitive in terms of uh, animal welfare, environment, contamination, pollution, depollution. And I think Uruguay really has a very, very good uh, standing in many of these, of these aspects. And what would you say is so special about wool besides you'd already mentioned now the animal welfare standards, but what else is, makes Uruguayan wool so special? Uh, as I said at the beginning, perhaps the size of the country mm -hmm. and the natural weather conditions uh, helps a lot. The wool production is very even. Mm -hmm. yeah. In some other countries that are much bigger in terms of size, you have different situations at the same time. Yeah. That is very difficult to, to occur in, in Uruguay. Yeah. So the wool is, has, is, is very resistant, yeah. very good length, and for, for many applications, uh, really customers around the world, they, they have a, a preference mm -hmm. yeah, for, for the Uruguayan wools. And who would be your typical customers of Lanas Trinidad? Well, we have customers all over. Yeah, we, we export. If, if we put the European Union combined, the, the biggest destination is Europe. If we consider a single country, uh, China is the biggest customer by, by far. Uh, but I should say that we are well balanced, let's say 40% Europe, 40% China, and remaining 15, 20% is split in, in some countries in the Middle East, in, in the Americas, mm -hmm. uh, but we have presence, I should say, almost everywhere. And your clients would typically be spinners? Yes, mm -hmm. yes, most of them are spinners. Okay, uh, excellent. And when I looked also at your website, I saw that you have a lot of different licenses. Yes. And I talked to a lot of companies who say, yeah, there are so many different labels and licenses that it becomes really difficult to decide which one to go for. And also, obviously, they involve a lot of work and money to actually fulfill all the requirements. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about we, that. We, we suffer the same. Yes, okay. <laughs> Uh, some of them, uh, at the time, is a plus to a service to a specific uh, customer. Some of these uh, accreditations are tools that also help you in, in the process to have different approach and different controls on the, on the process itself. So, what would be an example, like an environmental standard? Or? Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, also for quality management, for the human resources. So some of them, even if uh, a customer is not asking for a, for a given uh, accreditation, I think we, we would have them because of, of, of as a tool. Mm -hmm. uh, as, for instance, it's, it's, it's not related to the, to the accreditation, but 
laboratories. Mm -hmm. We have greasy wool laboratory. We have a laboratory for, for wool tops. Mm -hmm. yeah? And big part of the use of the laboratory is uh, to take samples during the process, scouring and combing, and through the laboratory, you know exactly in real time if any machine is not working properly. Mm -hmm. yeah. if, if you don't have a so precise laboratory that can control the, the, pro the produce, producing line, perhaps at the end of the production, you will discover that you, you have a problem. Yeah. So we, we try to, to kill the problem before it starts. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, Pedro, thank you so much for your time. And I think it was really uh, interesting to speak to someone kind of in the middle of the supply chain because we've talked already to farmers and we've talked to a lot of brands. But I think it's also important to hear the stories of the people who do a lot of work and a lot of important work. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Really, I enjoy this this interview and you are always most welcome to, to our country. Yeah, and I can really recommend our listeners to go and visit Uruguay because it is really a beautiful country and okay. amazing. And bef But before we close, how can our listeners find out more about Lanas Trinidad? Well, the easiest way would be to, to pay a look to our website, www.lanastrinidad, <laughs> mm -hmm. and in case of any doubt, they can call you. <laughs> okay, yes, we will make sure to link to the show in the show notes to your website. And yeah, thank you once again, and I wish you a good conference. Today. Okay, thank you so much. Same to you. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Pedro Tegi from Lanas Trinidad. If you want to find out more about Lanas Trinidad, visit the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 028. Once again, that's elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 028. We love that you're listening to this podcast. Make sure you also connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. See you there and bye for now.